following message is recorded at City Light Church in Vicksburg, Mississippi. City Light Church exists to shine the light of Christ in our city and world through the transformed lives of His people. For more information on the church and its ministries, please visit www.citylightvicksburg.org. Scripture reading is from John 6, 1 through 15, where Jesus feeds the 5,000. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him, because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. And lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And he said to them, he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? And Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. How we doing? Good, good, excellent. Great to see everybody this morning. Um, let me start by asking you um, a, a question. Um, have you ever heard this particular scripture? Um, for he calls those things that are not as though they were. Anybody ever heard that one? Show of hands, anybody? All right. Have you ever heard that scripture applied to people? You may, you may have heard this. You may not have heard this. All right. But here, here, here's the thing. It's Romans 4. All right. And a matter of fact, I'll read it for you. That is why Romans 4, verse 16 through 17, that is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. All right. The reason that that's important for us this morning is because oftentimes that verse, that particular verse in, in, in a lot of pop evangelical worlds, uh, mainly prosperity-centric though, has been hijacked and associated with us. It says, hey, you have the power to call those things that are not as though they were, which is very odd. Number one, because it's actually that verse is used to basically describe God in a particular and peculiar way that sets him, sets him apart from other people. So in other words, when you say God and somebody says, which God? Then Paul replies, the God that gives life to the dead and calls those things that are not as though they were. And so to hijack that and make it a human attribute 
is actually the steal from the attribute that belongs to God, right? But the reason why it's important this morning is because what we're about to witness literally in this particular text is God is about to literally ex nihilo, ex nihilo. He's about to make something out of nothing, okay? This is a God-like attribute to make something out of nothing, to, cut, to simply just call those things that are not and make them be. Does that make sense? And so, and so this is, you know, we, I mean, this is like a discussion about, about a two-piece with, with, with a whole bunch of roles, right? But, 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 but it's bigger than that. This is literally God showing his ex nihilo capability, his ability to just make something out of nothing, all right? But there's a whole lot of other things going on in this text, too, and so I want to focus in on all those different things that are going on in this particular scripture besides that one particular thing. So let's start at verse 2, or verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tabarias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Now, we've been following these type of crowds, right? We've been following them throughout John. So, you, so if you've been with us, you know that the type of crowd that follows Jesus just because they see his works and see his signs doesn't necessarily assure us that that type of crowd is a crowd that is fully on board with Jesus and his, his, and his saving work or his saving faith that he calls us to, uh, to, to, to acquire or calls us to have, right? Doesn't mean that they're on board. It just means that they love what they see when they see Jesus. He's doing some great things. He's healing a lot of people. Uh, brother, I heard that he turned water into wine. Man, let's hang out with that guy. That's, that's the kind of guy that I want to be with. And so now you have crowds following him. His, the legend of Jesus, and I say, that, I say that flippantly for a reason because this is how the crowd perceives him. But the legend of Jesus is growing, and people are following, wanting to see, hey, Maybe he has something for me. Maybe I can get a nice bottle of champagne out of this. Maybe I can, you know, I've been having this daggone arm issue, man, and maybe if I hang out with Jesus long enough, maybe, maybe this arm issue will go away. So you got crowds following Jesus. They know something's in the air. They know something special. They know something's powerful at work. However, their allegiance is short-lived because they don't understand what they truly need. And so, and so verse 3 says, Jesus went up on a mountain, which is really not a mountain, by the way. It's more like probably, theologians say it's probably more like a hill, right? So, I mean, we, and so in, in other words, Vicksburg, right? We, he, he's on a mountain in Vicksburg, and, and it's a grassy mountain, and, 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 he, and, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the Feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Now let's stop and let's talk about a few things. First, let's talk about the Passover and the significance of the Passover. So we are on the cusp of the Passover. The Passover is the commemoration of the Old Testament narrative or the Old Testament story of God's deliverance of the people of Israel from the hands of Egypt through their anointed leader, Moses. Anybody ever heard that story before? I'm sure you've heard that story as a kid. Anybody, if you have not heard that story, a great cartoon by the name of Prince of Egypt 
gives a great illustration of that. Or you can just try the Bible, which is pretty good as well, all right? So, but I believe John highlights the fact that this miracle is happening during the Passover for at least two reasons, all right? The first reason is that the miracle of the two fish and the five loaves possess a lot of parallels and shadows back to the Old Testament exodus. And so John says, hey, Passover is happening, so this moment in history, as Jesus is doing what he's doing in John chapter 6, as we read, it's going to give reminders to the people that are there that's going to say, wait a second, man, I think this might be the one. This might be the prophet. Does that make sense? But the other reason that John is probably highlighting the fact that this is Passover is because the reaction of the crowd to the miracle is most likely heightened and increased because of the fact that it happens during the Passover, all right? And so in other words, they react probably a lot more differently like what we read, what, 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 what Miss Elizabeth read in, in, in verses 14 and 15 where they're like, hey, let's make this guy king. Well, part of the reason why it's possible that they went all overboard when they saw what he did was because it was happening during the Passover. And the Passover is like a real super nationalistic holiday for Israel. It's like 4th of July, Veterans Day, Memorial Day, all smacked in one. And on that same day, the USA men's, women's basketball and soccer team win the world championships. I mean, you're going to be pumped that day, right? Right? going to be dancing around the house, you know, going to have a flag, flag robe on when you get out of the shower. It's going to be an exciting day for America. And, and this is kind of how the Passover is for Israel. They are pumped about Israel when the Passover happens. I mean, people are walking around Israel. They're, they're, they're wearing their, their mega hats, right, make Israel great again. They are really excited about Israel on Passover. They are pumped about Israel. On Passover, and that's very important. That is very important. Extremely important that you understand how pumped they are about Israel and how pumped they are about nationalistic favor. So, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And you got this crowd of people fresh off of their nationalistic holiday. They've, you know, had, they've been barbecuing and, and, like I said, just really excited about Israel. But they, they know Jesus is there, and they know there's plenty, there's something going on with this man, so I want to be next to him. And so they start following him. They start, you know, going up. And as he's talking to his disciples, the crowd comes. Now, chapter 6 is really, really interesting because it starts with disciples. It moves into disciples and crowd. But by the end, it goes back to disciples. In other words, by the end, the crowd is gone. The crowds vanish. Disciples are still there by the end of this chapter. So we want to we unpack what's the difference, right, between the crowds and the disciples. But let's just pause as we unpack this over the next couple of weeks, chapter 6. Let's just pause and ask the question first, which one are you? 
Are you content just being in the crowd? Are you content being a crowd dweller? Are you content to come and join Jesus for the signs or for the promise and the reward of some external and earthly comfort that may come? All right, let's jump on the bandwagon. Jesus is my guy. Are you, are you in the crowd kind of hanging out hoping that, you know, healing may come and, hey, let's join along with Jesus in order that I might be healed of whatever infirmity that I am suffering from? Are you, are you in the crowd because you've, you've, just, you've just joined into the buzz and the sensation of the moment, the, the, just, just being associated with Jesus? Maybe, maybe it, it doesn't as much as it used to, but maybe in some audiences, in some, in some arenas, in some crowds, it still gives you a little capital. It still gives you a little swag amongst, the, among, amongst, your, amongst your peers. And so you hang out, and you just, you're there. You say, yeah, 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 I'm with Jesus, and I go to church on Sunday mornings and do this and do that. Are you just there for the sensation of the moment? Are you there for the promise of power? Do you ride the evangelical bandwagon in hopes that it might put you in a place of power, in a seat of power? Motivations are often numerous for being in the crowd where Jesus is. They can be multifaceted for re- there can be multifaceted reasons for being in the crowd where Jesus is. But the disciples, as we learn throughout this chapter, come from come for one reason. Any other reason flows out of that reason. And that reason is. They follow Jesus because he's Jesus. Any other reason flows out of that. They follow Jesus because he's Jesus, because of who he is. And you'll see that as we get to the latter part of this chapter. That they're there because of who he is. Not because of the food. Not because of the buffet. Not because of the signs. Not because of the endless bottles of champagne. They're there because he's there. Are you with Jesus because he's Jesus? Are you serving Jesus because he is indeed Lord, because he is God? Do you need the perks? Do you need the perks? Do you need the benefits? Do you need do you need the incentives? Now notice what happens. Notice what happens here. Jesus in a crowd, a crowd that's kind of here one minute. By the end of the chapter, we don't necessarily see the same crowds. Crowds kind of dwindle down. It's very few few in the audience by the end. But here's what's interesting. Jesus says, lifting up his eyes in verse 5, lifting, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are, we, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And I find that unbelievably um, gracious. Because here you got this large crowd. You know most of these folks aren't going to be here by the end of this chapter, right? 
You know, we're on this journey. They're going to follow him. They're going to follow him through chapter 6. You know, they're going to be looking for him. He's going to be stealing away. They're going to be looking for him. But by the time we get to the end of this chapter, folks are going to be bailing like crazy. And yet, and let's, and let's think about it now, Jesus isn't us. So it's not like Jesus isn't going to know that. Does that make sense? You know what I mean? Like, like the kind, you, you, know, you know how this starts out, right? We all become friends. We, we get a good group of people and we're like, man, we're friends. This is awesome. Um, yeah, man, I'll do whatever you need me to do for you. Why? Because we're best buds, right? And then, and then guess what happens, right? Towards the end, the thing falls apart and you're like, man, I wouldn't have did nothing for that cat had I known this is how this was going to end up. Jesus already knows where this is going. He knows, he knows it. And yet, notice his compassionate work. He knows that they're there for this specific reason. And notice his compassion at work. Folks, he's administering and showing that compassion to you and I every single day of our lives. There are days that we are walking, even as Christians, we are walking and taking his grace for granted, robbing him of glory, right? Showing up at the prayer, in the prayer closet. Why? Out of need and nothing more, right? Jesus, I know you haven't seen me in like 18 weeks, months, years, but could you, could you answer this for me? I got a prayer. And Jesus in his compassion is saying, hey, what are we, we going to feed them? Are you, are you tracking with that? Now, there's a test at work, too, so he's asking, what are we going to feed them? He already knows what he's going to feed them. He's, I mean, he knows that, that there's a kid that has a can of sardines and, and, and five loaves of bread. So he, are, he already knows. And so he's, he's going he's gonna to ask, what are we feeding them? Because he's not asking to find out what, what we're really going to feed them. He's asking to find out how will his disciples respond to the question, what will we feed them? And so he asks Philip, and Philip you know, the, the great test, test taker that he is, he says, 200 denarii worth of bread could not be enough for each of them to get a little of this. To even get one bite of this, to even get, or, or rather to even get one bite of food. 200 denarii, now understand denarii, uh, denarius is a term for for, for money. And denarius, one denarius would equal basically one day's wage. All right? So he's saying, listen, somebody, we could take somebody's salary or two, for, for two-thirds of the year, and it won't be enough to cover the people that are gathered here. It's 5,000 people out here, Jesus. Does it make sense? 5,000 people out here, man. We just went with $5 fill-ups, cheapest thing I know for lunch. I eat it all the time. That's 25,000 bucks. That's a lot of money, Jesus. We don't, have, we don't have that money with us. And so Jesus says, okay, um, what are, what are we gonna, what are we, how are we going to feed these guys? And, and, and Andrew, one of the other disciples, comes along and he says, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? So one of his disciples brings him in this test the lack of resources. The other disciple brings him the lack of food, the lack of resources. Neither of them get what they're being tested on. The test is, do you depend on your resources to meet 
this need or do you depend on his? Do you grab your wallet when he calls you or do you simply look at him? When he's moving you, who are you looking at? When he's calling you to lay down sin, who are you asking? Who are you questioning? Are you saying, well, Lord, you just don't understand how long I've been wrestling with this? Or do you look, do you fix your gaze and do you fix your eyes on Christ and you say, well, well yeah, my resources are shallow, but I serve you. And so I know that whatever it is that you want to do, that you have provided not only the call, but you have provided the means to fulfill it. Jesus says, what are we going to eat? What are we going to feed these people? Both of the disciples failed the test like we all often by immediately looking at the available resources in our midst and saying, well, we don't have enough money. You know, this is going to cost at least, you know, two-thirds of someone's salary and no one has that kind of money to pay. Or this poor kid over here, he, he, he has five barley loaves. That's a poor man's lunch, by the way. He has five, he has five barley loaves. And then he has two, two fish. And we're not talking about two big fish that you guys take pictures of and post on Facebook. I'm literally, we're talking about probably more, more than likely two very tiny fish. It says this kid brought his lunch, his poor lunch, but, but that's not going to do any good, Jesus. In other words, we can't do it, even though we're with the one who created everything. That sound like us sometimes? And so Jesus says, have the people sit down. And, and during this beautiful spring day, grass is growing, right? That's not something that happens all the time in this particular area, but we see it here. Grass is here. Spring is here, all right? Everybody's sitting down. And on the banks of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus declares with this sign that we don't need food, we don't need resources, we don't need money, we need him. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. And obviously 5,000 men means that there was women and children that are gathered. Some people want to double and triple the numbers, probably not necessary to do because, I mean, hey, some, some folks have to stay home, right? And so it's probably not like 16,000. Who knows what the number actually is? But it's a lot of people, a lot of people besides just the 5,000 more than likely. And they all sit down on this hill in this grass. And Jesus then, verse 11, took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. Jesus models a prayer for us, the God of the universe giving thanks. How about that? <laughs> right? Sometimes we, sometimes we feel too snooty about giving thanks. Right? Uh, you know, I mean, I'm sitting in front of these folks and, you know, people are here and they've already eaten, so whatever, whatever. You know. God of the universe is giving thanks for this meal. How about that? Then he distributed, those to, distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their field, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. 
So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Now, now John, the way, the way John tells this story is really and truly just unbelievable to me. If, if, you, if you read the story the way John tells it, it sounds like we're just at a soup kitchen and somebody just has a whole lot of food in the back and they're just serving it as people come along. But literally what's happening is that food is being created right in front of these people's eyes. That food is literally being created. That Jesus is calling those things that are not as though they were right before these people. I mean, imagine the sight of this, right? God shows up with five loaves of Wonder Bread and a can of sardines. 5,000 people are there, and all of a sudden, everybody's getting a plate. Imagine the sight of this. And so person after person after person passes by Jesus and gets a plate. But not only do they get a, you know, not only do they get that plate that you, that you feed when you, you invited like a few friends over and they invited a few friends over and they invited a few friends over. It's like, okay, well, wait a second. Everybody get one scoop of corn, you know what I mean? One piece of chicken. You know, not a plate like that. They are literally getting their feel from this plate. That's why we call it Miracle Buffet. It's literally all you can eat. Jesus is serving an all-you-can-eat meal from two sardines and five barley loaves. That is how you call those things that are not, as though they were. That is divine. That is ex nihilo, making something out of nothing. That is God at work. You know, we, we often walk with Jesus. We often are tested in the same way, right? Jesus is saying, hey, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And you're like, well, you know, I got this going on. I got that going on. Oh, no, I'm not sure going to be able to do that. Jesus, okay, okay, let's, let's, let's try. I'll come back next week and we'll ask this question again. And so something else comes along, some, at some calling in your life. He says, okay, what are we going to do? You say, well, you know, I got this going on. I got, I got that going on. We're counting resources. We're counting, we're counting food. We're counting money. You know, we're checking to see what exactly we need in order to, to, to just simply be obedient to God. And he's saying, hey, why don't you just be obedient to me? When you read my word and I call you to a certain life, how many excuses are you going to make before you just simply say, Lord, I'm walking with you? I'm walking out in the waters with you, right? And, and, and yeah, I get it. Before you do it, it's extremely scary, before you say, I'm leaving that old life behind and I'm walking out here with you, it's extremely scary. But know that you're not going by yourself. The disciples weren't feeding the crowds by themselves. The disciples were feeding the crowds with Jesus there. And so knowing you walk on the water, it's not by yourself that you're walking. 
It's with Jesus that you're going. Knowing you leave the old life behind is not you that's leaving the old life behind. It's you with Jesus going with you. So you step out in faith because that's what faith looks like. Faith looks like I don't have the resources to do this. I don't have the willpower to do this. I don't have the energy to do this. I don't have the discipline to do this. I cannot live this life. I cannot repent on my own. He's calling me to turn, but I can't turn on my own. That's why you go with him. That's why you go with him. Verse 14 says, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. And perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So again, let's go back. It's Passover. It's Passover, right? Supernationalistic people are excited. Like we talked about, they're having parades. Mega hats are all over the place. Really excited. They see Jesus do this and they say, Yeah, he, he's king. He's, gonna, he's, he's the one that's going to rescue us from Rome. Because you have to understand that they're under the footprint right now of Rome. And so, and so they're thinking what's on their mind in this moment is Passover. God sent his man, sent Moses. Moses, through the hand of God or with the hand of God, came and delivered us from Egypt and from, and from, the, and from the broken or, or from, the, uh, from the oppressive system that Pharaoh deployed. And, 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 we, and we went and we, and, and we went through the wilderness and we struggled, and, but, but God was there and he brought us all the way through. He gave us a king. He gave us David, and David ruled and reigned. He's going to right everything that has been wrong for us. They're looking at this moment. They're looking at this God, Jesus, making something out of nothing. And what they think about is Deuteronomy 18. We talked about it last week, that, when, that, that, that God promised that there would be a prophet that would come after Moses, Right? There's a prophet from amongst your brothers, and you shall listen to him. That's what they're thinking about. Matter of fact, one of the clear indicators to help us know that we're thinking about it is from Exodus 16. Because in the book of Exodus, we see that when God, God does a similar thing by giving them manna. You remember that? Bread from heaven. Does anybody remember that? Maybe? Okay. All right, all right. Cool, cool. So God is giving just like he did in Exodus 16, as they were working their way on the Exodus journey, God is doing it again. Fish and bread, something out of nothing. And remember when he gave them that bread in Exodus 16, he said, at twilight you shall eat me, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In other words, because you see me making something out of nothing, you know that I am God. And you know that I am your God who provides for you. And so they see this moment and they're saying, yeah, this is it. On Passover of all days, this must be the day that we are going back to our rightful seat. So they say, hey, let's make him king. Let's make him king. 
Here's the problem, right? Is that they believe in something. They just don't believe in what they ought to believe in. The people believe in him as a king that will remove the oppression of Rome and put them back in the seat of power on earth. So they believe him to be a significant and a great and important candidate. They just don't believe him to be great enough. Their, their, their expectations has a ceiling that needs to be removed. They followed him over to the hillsides because they've heard of these miracles that he has performed. Now they've witnessed his latest miracle, and they've seen all they need to see to crown him, but they are seeking to crown him as the wrong kind of king. They're seeking to crown him as another earthly king. He is not a king of this earth. They're fitting him for the wrong crown. He is the king of the universe. He hasn't just come to deliver them from Egypt, has he? He hasn't just come to even deliver them from Rome. He hasn't just come to deliver them from Pharaoh. He hasn't just come to deliver them from Caesar. He has come to deliver them, frankly, from themselves. And he hasn't come to to rescue them from the wrath of Pharaoh. He hasn't come to rescue them from the wrath of Caesar. He has come to rescue them from the wrath of God that is poured out on all because of sin entering into the world. The crown that they are fitting him for is too small. They need a bigger crown because his kingdom that he has come to establish is not of this world. It reigns eternally. But folks, sometimes when your eyes are on the power of this world and the politics of this world, you can miss, you can miss the realities of the kingdom. Not like that's happening here, so no need to worry about that. We can just all just wrap that up and go home. There's no Bible lesson in that. Sometimes... The energy exerted in political power gets our attention fixed on the shifts and movement of politics, thinking that in some shape or form, God is, you know, taking over, right? So you got pictures floating around. Jesus is coming back to the White House. Jesus has already been there. Jesus has reigned over America. He has, and not only America, folks, he has reigned over this world. He's not taking breaks when presidents change. He's not taking breaks when kings change. Oh, Elizabeth III, I guess, all right, let's let's, let's, let's take a rest. No, that's not how Jesus... Our God is in the heavens, the psalmist says, and does all that he pleases. He rules and he reigns over everything at all times. 
So Jesus doesn't need a seat in in Israel. He doesn't need a seat in Jerusalem to reign. He's reigning even while they're trying to make him a king. The solution they're seeking is not sufficient. They're looking for temporary political solutions. But the problem is greater than what they actually understand. The problem is greater than what they actually realize. They don't need saving from Rome. They need saving from themselves. So God isn't into just shifting boxes around on this earth, right? He is into literally changing and transforming the very fabric. And he's doing that by his spirit moving through his church. So if anybody, the last people that should panic with political change is us. Does that make sense? No matter what president's in there. No matter what king's reigning. Why? Because that king has to answer to ours. That president has to answer to ours. And so we move and we're about kingdom business regardless of who is in there. And we, we preach to the broken and we, and we give hope to the orphan and to the widow. And we share the gospel with all men regardless of who's in office. And we love neighbor as ourselves regardless of who is in office. And we advocate for the unborn. We advocate for the immigrant. We advocate for the foreigner. We advocate for the broken. We advocate for the poor. We advocate for the wealthy. We advocate for the domestic. We advocate for the woman. We advocate for the man. We speak hope to all. Why? Not because of a president, not because of a king, but because of our king. And his call to us to be prophets and priests in this world. Jesus makes something out of nothing to show his disciples and to show those who are reading and to show us this morning that what we need is not political change. What we need is not extra resources. What we need is not extra food. What we need first and foremost is him. And from him flows all the other sub-needs that come along in our lives. Amen. Let's pray. Good and perfect God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you that you reign supreme, that you are glorious, and that you don't need anything for that to be true. That you are king of the universe and you don't need an earthly coronation, Lord God. You don't need to take a seat in Rome. You don't need to take a seat in the U.S. You don't need to take a seat in Israel, Lord God, because you own them all. Father, help us be reminded of that as we navigate this world. Help us be reminded of that as we struggle through our own lives and and as it feels like, Lord, our lives have lost control. May we be reminded, Lord God, to look and turn to you because you are ultimately sovereign, control all things. Father, if there be some in this room that do not know you, Lord God, may may we find that in you is everything that we need.
not because you promise uh, healing, not because you promise millions to us, Lord, but because you give us your very self. And if we have you, we are sufficiently provided for. We love you, we thank you, and we give you all the praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. This message was brought to you by the family and friends of City Light Church. For church worship times, directions, support opportunities, or other ministry information, please visit www.citylightvicksburg.org.